Bums on Seats on Cambridge 105 Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, just a word of warning. Oh, you're a mess, aren't you? I'm not very tall either. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Hello, you are listening to Cambridge 105 Radio across the city and South Cambridgeshire and it's now time for an hour of fantastic movie talk uh, with bums on seats. In the coming hour we're going to be going all the way from Iceland to American high school and even uh, everywhere in between in a road trip comedy across the world with Seth Rogen and Charlie Theron. Also, uh, some superhero movie just came out as well and we're going to be talking about that. Anyway, we've got some great reviewers joining us today and... Um, yeah, they're also going to tell us uh, what their favourite superhero movies are. So first, Dave Riley. Hello, my favourite superhero movie is Chronicle because I think it shows you what would happen if people really did have superpowers. Uh, Christian Foreman. Hi, my name uh, my name is Christian. My favourite <laughs> superhero film has got me The Dark Knight from 2008. It's just an exceptionally smart, very brooding picture with some fantastic performances. And Lava Pool. Uh, our producer Toby is going to hate this, but it's going to be Suicide Squad, and that is because of Harley Quinn and the amazing music and gymnastics. It is not too late to kick Laura off the show for that opinion. <laughs> um, but, but first, we are going to the Marvel Universe with the Avengers Endgame. If we do this, we'd be going in shorthanded. Yeah, you mean because he killed all our friends? We owe this to everyone who's not in this room to try. It's not about how much we lost. It's about how much we have left. We're the Avengers. We gotta finish this. You trust me? I do. You could not live with your own failure. Where did that bring you? Back to me. Tickets on sale now. So, directly following last year's Infinity War, Endgame is a film that's incredibly difficult to talk about without launching into spoilers, and part of the reason why it's been such a mammoth success at the box office is because people are going to see it before it is spoiled for them. So we're going to try our best to sort of dance around the plot for as much as we can uh, whilst, you know, basically saying what our thoughts are. So I'm going to jump in uh, directly over to the biggest Marvel fan in the room, which is Dave. Um, what are your thoughts on Endgame? Was it a disappointment? Did it live up to your expectations? Uh, it, it not only lived up to my expectations, there are bits where it subverted my expectations as well. Um, I managed to get to an earlier showing, so I knew very, very little other than what I managed to guess from the trailers, half of which was a lie fed to me by the trailers, because the Russo brothers really do have a knack for putting things in there that aren't necessarily there and stuff. Uh, and overall, yeah, I was, you know, I was pretty excited to see it. I was excited while I saw it. I was excited after I saw it. I have now been twice, and um, no, I couldn't really have hoped for any more or any less, really. It... It tied off all the stories it said it was going to tie off. It closed the Infinity Saga, which is 22 films long now. So, 
it's a good job. I think they've they finally got to the end of that one, so they can launch into their next one, whatever that might be. Um, and yeah, everything came to a close in a way that I thought it it hit the points, hit all the stories of the individual characters, particularly the original six Avengers, that you wanted to see hit. And everyone involved with it did a fantastic job. You know, the the original six. So we've got Chris Evans, Scarlett Johansson, Robert Downey Jr., who kick-started the whole thing with Iron Man way back in 2008 now. Uh, we've also got Jeremy Renner pops up at last. Oh, my God. Where was he in the last film? He bought... He's getting his hair styled by the look of it. I, mean, I think... What's going on there? It must have taken at least two hours a day, and that is the runtime for Infinity <laughs> War. So, you know, that makes sense. Uh, and I'm shamefully forgetting the rest of the Avengers. I'm losing my Marvel credos. Oh, Mark Ruffalo as in in once again, kind of am I the Hulk? Am I Bruce Banner? Still not entirely sure in this one. I'm not sure I don't know how much to say. <laughs> I'm dancing around the spoilers and it's starting to get awkward. I'm going to be like sort of we say we're in the shallow end now, I'm sort of going to be slowing us slowly pushing us into the deep end as uh, this conversation goes on. So that's a great start point. We've just we've lowered ourselves into the pool. Now we're getting uh, sort of progressively deeper. So Christian, I don't know if you're like a big Marvel fan, but I mean h- how did you uh, find Endgame? I mean, did did it uh, sort of work for you as a I, I completely conclusion. agree I absolutely loved it I'm not a huge Marvel fan but you, um, you know it's, how long has it been going on for now 11 years yeah <laughs> I kind of slowly crept into it I, I missed the first Iron Man's when they came out but I, over the as the years have kind of passed I've went back and revisited them but I think this was a really worthy end to such a an ambitious project and I think it, you really have to applaud them for the ambition of this as well like the foresight they had the patience they had to kind of um, flesh out these characters over the years and they really felt really cathartic watching this and I think like you say they did it was a, a nice um, it just it felt nice when you when it all wrapped up um, and yeah I loved it and Lava, as somebody whose uh, favourite superhero film is Suicide Squad, how d- how did a film uh, like Endgame, how did that measure up to that actual Academy Award winning film? <laughs> uh, Toby's really going to kick me off the show. Um, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed Avengers. I'm not a big Marvel fan either. Um, I went in thinking, oh my God, I've got to sit through three hours um, of just these men all fighting for the screen time all wanting the best lines and I absolutely loved it I sat there and like Heather said I felt so happy just watching it it didn't feel like three hours long and I actually then went home and watched a load of other Marvel films off the back of this because I thought maybe I'm missing out on something this was so amazing and just watching all the actors on the screen together they weren't fighting for the time. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. and probably Chris Hemsworth, in my opinion, stole the show with their one-liners, but that's to be expected. But I just absolutely loved it, and it's opened my mind to a whole world of Marvel films now. So, I mean, how many Marvel have you seen before? Because, I mean, this ties into as many of the previous ones as possible. I mean, not coming in with that information, I mean, how did it play out? So I'd seen the previous Avengers film, so I understood that um, Danos had clicked his fingers and what had happened there, so I got away with that one. And then my housemate made me watch Ant-Man and the Wasp to tie things in. I'm very sorry. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do hold that slightly against her. Um, I think that was probably about... I think I'd seen one Captain America, and that was was it for me. Yeah, so not many at all. 
and yeah, and Christian, like, you're not a big Marvel fan either. I mean, I'm, how? what was your... I'm not a big Marvel fan. I have seen all of the films. And I would say that this film is made for the fans to a point where if you hadn't watched all 29 films, that you probably won't get the same emotional impact as if you had. So um, it was interesting to hear how you responded to the film. Um, there's so many references and so many callbacks. Uh, um, it's really hard to talk about this without going into <laughs> yeah. spoilers. Isn't it? Oh, don't worry, we're, but, we're slowly getting there, Christian. We're slowly getting there. But yeah, I, I think that you have a richer experience of this film. I think if you, the more Marvel films you've seen and the more you've invested in your time into this series. So, Dave, what I'm coming to you is, I've got a question, and it's so the general audience has made this a massive success. Not diehard Marvel fans, Dave you know, catapulted it to almost $2 billion in just over a week, which is incredible. It's probably going to dethrone Avatar as the biggest film of all time. And my question is is this. The film is called Endgame. People are going to be seeing this thinking that this is the final Marvel film. How do you think people are going to react when they realise that there's actually dozens more of these coming? Do you think that the end of the MCU, or at least an increasing disinterest in the MCU is... Like it's inevitable, about, yeah. Like Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure. It, it's an interesting thing. I there were there were points where I wondered where I wondered if the uh, the new Spider-Man movie, which is also coming out in just a couple of months, so people are like, hold on, I thought Marvel was over. Um, I wondered if it was all some kind of elaborate hoax that they'd filmed with Tom Holland so that he didn't know what he could and couldn't spoil. But the fact that Jake Gyllenhaal is also in the movie and has been doing press tours for it means it's probably actually a real film and stuff. So it is going to continue. Will the popularity continue? As long as there are comic books in the world, they're going to have an audience. And the fact that they've gone from... You look at some of the earlier films, the first Iron Man is a lot of fun. You know, fairly simple story. It was an experiment for them. It was a, can we do this? Can we make this work? And they did. And then... The next big jump for them was they, they did all their little intro movies, then they, they did the first Avengers movie to see, can we get away with a big ensemble hit like this? Can we create one? And, you know, Joss Whedon stepped up to the Thor, really brought it home for them. And that was the Kickstarter for this grand plan. Now, they know they can make it work, and they know how to make it work, so I can't see them coming up with a reason to stop it because people like what they're doing <laughs> and they're just it it's it's kind of i, I mean I, I really love it all but at the same time it's mindless entertainment it's a great way to go to the cinema and just kind of switch off for two three hours now with this one i think it's the longest running superhero movie of all time all other universes considered not just marvel and they're really kind of they could keep rolling for as long as they wanted until if they produce something against the whole taste of the world, <laughs> that's when they'll fail. But until then, they're going to have such a kind of core of the audience behind them. I don't think they're going to have a reason to. Okay, because I'm just thinking in my mind about how the Star Wars universe was also like claimed to be too big to fail. And the Solo last year was one of the biggest flops of the year. I think it lost like $200 million like in profit. And I'm just wondering, like, you know, is there a possibility that Marvel could do something like that, just based entirely on the fact that people think it's over, and then when they see it's not over, they'll be like, well, that was the natural conclusion to the story. Why should I be going back and watching more? Yeah, I mean, the the, the kind of comparison you can draw there is with um, what happened with Ant-Man, where they had the, the change behind the scenes. Obviously, Edgar Wright departed, and there was a big kind of hoo-ha around it. 
But the reason he left was he, he couldn't tell the story he wanted, but he at the same time he said, but I'm still fully supporting everyone behind the film. I'm really in love with the cast. Whereas when Solo left, Miller and Lord kind of just went... <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and they were like, oh, okay. And a lot of people, because of that, did stay away because they thought those directors were treated unfairly. Whereas with Ant-Man, you know... If it was Marvel asking him to handle that way, or he's just, you know, a fairly decent person, which I believe he is, he handled it superbly, and they still got their audience in. And then, of course, they also made a pretty fun, pretty good film, <laughs> which helped word of mouth, and it, it just boosted. I think the, the trouble Solo had was that the word of mouth didn't get out quick enough. I mean, I, I thought it was a really enjoyable callback to the original Star Wars movies, and then I saw it, got on a plane to Australia and for a month, came back and it had gone already and I was really surprised. But So, you know, I blame myself for being stuck in Australia, not spreading the word of mouth around Cambridge. You could have just, in Australia, just gone from cinema to cinema watching Solo at each one. Not many in the middle of the desert, but, you know, I could have tried. <laughs> right, so that's as much as we can do on Avengers without spoiling anything. So prepare yourself because we're, we're now going to describe what happens in the first half hour of the film and that is a plot involving time travel in order for the avengers to go and reverse thanos's snap in order to bring back half of the population who disappeared at the end of infinity war when he clicked his fingers so time travel how, how, how did that uh how did that play into the avengers christian well th there was a lot of speculation online of how they were going to you know um, fix the world, fix the problem, and I think time travel was going to be the obvious thing. And uh, yeah, that was one of the things that we, the fans kind of predicted. And I think it worked really well, right? Obviously, if you look, if you dig too much into time travel, there's so many paradoxes and so many problems, so many plot holes that you can find. But I just chose to ignore all that. I haven't thought too much about it, and I thought it was just a fun way of um, yeah revisiting all these worlds and all these films that we've seen over the years. Yeah, and uh, Laura, as you say, you're not up on these Marvel films so when they've been back to say revisit the first Avengers they went back to revisit Thor the Dark World the Marvel film nobody likes I mean as somebody who is unfamiliar with these did you still enjoy these sort of detours into other classic Marvel films yeah I did because I just took it as a whole new scene part of the film I wouldn't have probably connected the dots like everyone else did but it was obvious they'd gone back in time to another film. So, you know, I wasn't sat there in the dark wondering what was going on. And I thought, you know, it didn't really make too much of a difference. But I did also love how the comedic edge they gave it when they're talking about the rules of time travel and they're just comparing it to back to the future, hot tub time machine. You know, you don't speak to your former self. <laughs> well, the funny thing is that hot tub time machine stars uh, Sebastian Stan, who plays Bucky, the Winter Soldier. So I'm they're thinking in this world does the actor sebastian stan exist alongside the character that he plays well i think it's a whole new thread isn't it yeah. it creates a a bit that goes off of the timeline supposedly <laughs> so hot tub time machine is actually more of an integral part of the mcu than any of us could have possibly realized before the end game thank god they made hot tub time machine that's all <laughs> i can say and uh, also just thank God Hot Tub Time Machine 2 wasn't mentioned because that is an awful film. Uh, so, Dave, I'm going to come back to you. So before Endgame, Captain Marvel was the last Marvel film. And it basically set up 
uh, Carol Denver's Captain Marvel as the big character. And she's barely in Endgame. She, in fact, she only really exists in order to sort of manoeuvre uh, the spaceship that Tony Stark and Nebula are in from the galaxy back to Earth. Um, did you feel like there should really have been more Captain Marvel after she'd just been set up a few weeks ago? I did, um, but at the same time, I can see why it was difficult for them to get her into the movie. So they filmed all of the scenes that Brie Larson did for Endgame before she filmed Captain Marvel, so they didn't really know what kind of product they had. Um, it's actually somewhat, something someone pointed out in Infinity War as well, was the kind of lack of the characters from Black Panther really doing anything apart from hosting the big final battle of Infinity War because no one no one knew how well that movie was going to do. No one knew that Black Panther was arguably going to be one of the best Marvel movies of all time. And then they did that and they, they actually shot some extra Infinity War stuff with the Black Panther cast afterwards because they were like, oh, we kind of misjudged this one. We've got to do something. Plus, we've only got uh, two weeks to get this out. Of- <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, uh, and I think the same thing's happened again here. And, you know, I I don't know why the uncertainty existed, if it was a, maybe a lack of faith in the way they'd put, they were going to put Captain Marvel together. Or maybe they just... She is... The, the character of Carol Danvers is the most overblown, overpowered superhero to appear in the MCU so far. You know, a lot of people say the Hulk should actually be as powerful, but they, they've kind of kept his character toned down, which I'm grateful for, because it gives Mark Ruffalo a lot more fun stuff to do as Bruce Banner and as Mark Ruffalo Hulk and um, they've kind of they've scaled her back so that when she does turn up you know she really turns the tide for things you know she she's the reason Stark actually makes it back to Earth because you know they he and Nebula were stuck on Titan they they did have a ship but obviously everyone's seen the trailer it's broken floating in space and you know yes who else is in space it's Captain Marvel that's <laughs> that's how they're going to get home and um but yeah, after that, she does actually, you know, they they do get her to say the lines repeatedly. It's not just Earth. And she is trying to do the job the Avengers are doing everywhere of restoring order. Is it working? Is it not working? Are they? I mean, Toby raised a good point before the show. Are they just being selfish? They They lost a fight. The consequences were massive. But at the same time, for everyone who survived that fight, they, they seem to be going. You know, there's a whole discussion to be had around the, the collateral damage. What about all the people on an airplane when the pilot disappeared and the airplane went down? They were not, you know, people who died in the snap. They are people who died because of the snap. Uh, that's actually something, if you, were, if you really want to explore consequences like that, go and read Stephen King's The Stand, which is really good at suddenly examining the small stories associated with a worldwide apocalypse, you know, things like that. Total sidetrack. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure Stephen King will be very happy for the plug, though. Oh, yeah, yes. Fantastic <laughs> book. Go read it. So, as with any film that makes this much money, there have been countless think pieces dissecting everything that people think are wrong with the film. And so there are a few issues that have come up that completely unexpectedly um, that I'm going to just ask about. Now, Christian, uh, later on, you're the only person who's talking about eighth grade. And uh, as you've never been a teenage girl, I'm going to prepare you by asking another question that's about something that you have no personal connection to. Okay. So this is a warm-up for the 8th grade review. <laughs> um, so there has been controversy because Endgame features the first openly LGBT character within the Marvel Universe, but it's literally just a, a cameo from one of the directors 
in the first 10 minutes and it's a character that has no consequence whatsoever. But the directors, Joe and Anthony Russell, have been talking about how this is groundbreaking, a, a major step forward for representation. I mean, wh- what do you th- feel about that? And like you say, I'm probably not the best person to answer this question. <laughs> somebody, I had to ask somebody. Uh, no, I when I watched that, um, I took notes, but I didn't really, I didn't really think much about it. I think it's probably better to have that person there than to not have that person there. But yeah, they, they're, it's a, it's a bit of an easy way out, isn't it, um, to write that person in at the beginning? I thought it was a nice scene. I thought the whole. Um, uh, what was the, the support group at the beginning? Mm. It was kind of the whole film was the theme of the whole film was a bit, bit of a support group, everyone helping each other. So I think that was thematically a great scene. But to have that um, LGBT character, um, yeah, why not? Why not? I mean, <laughs> it's it's a nice scene. It's more how the directors are talking about it. Like it's I've missed so, this. Yeah, I've, I've missed. I haven't read. Oh well, you're <laughs> you're lucky. Um, I stare into the sun and read these awful think pieces all the time <laughs> right. uh, because. That's just the kind of guy I am. I like reading bad takes. Um, so that's the first thing that's caused controversy. The other thing that has caused controversy is the handling of Thor. Um, I've seen people describe Thor as fat-phobic um, in his depiction and the fact that they make the fact that he has PTSD. He It's been five years um, since uh, he. this happens in the first 15 minutes. He does something that causes a time jump five years later in the future and during that time he's put on a lot of weight he's drinking heavily uh, and people are saying that this is basically just making a joke of alcohol addiction and um, it's fat phobic and I was just wondering what everybody thinks about that that's the one thing that didn't sit well with me this film that, that there's a recurring joke in the film um, they just kept bringing it. I thought the first scene when we're introduced with Thor and the new um, what's his what's his place called, Dave? Uh, new New Asgard. Yeah, we were introduced to him there, um, and then the joke is, oh my god, this this god is now uh, putting a bit of weight, and he's um, an alcohol alcoholic, and it was and not of, even that much weight. It's just he's <laughs> not like that's and that just... got a, a huge laugh in the cinema I was in. And I, th- I suppose it is funny because it's a bit incongruous to what we've seen Chris Hemsworth and Thor be uh, up, up until this point. But then they just kept going with the joke throughout the whole film. And I just thought it, it just got less and less funny for me because they, they were making a joke out of... out of. He's clearly going through a very, very hard time in his life. He's blaming himself for the, the, the death of the half of the universe. And that's quite, that's quite a heavy um, thing to have on your shoulders. And he's dealing with the best, the best way, he's, way he can. And we're just all laughing at that. And I think they dealt, particularly in Thor Ragnarok, they dealt with the grief of the, the loss of his planet very well. And I think they've lost that sensitivity um, through this joke. That's just my opinion. Anyway. And Laura, I'm sorry to keep coming back to your lack of knowledge on the MCU. I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, but as I don't think you've... The only Thor film you've seen is the previous Avengers one. Yes. Correct. So, I mean, how were you with this handling? Because, I, mean, I mean, it's completely different to how we've seen the character before. It is. I mean... It was the same. The cinema I was in, everyone just erupted into laughter when you suddenly saw him turn around with a beer belly and he just stayed in his home playing Xbox or PlayStation or whatever it was he was doing. Um, I, To be honest, I hadn't hadn't realised there was a big backlash against... Well, that's this. what I'm here for. Uh. <laughs> so, thanks for bringing that to my attention. I can, I, now, thinking about it, I can understand... Yeah, but they they did just use it as a comedic way of this guy's given up in life, sits on his sofa with his mates all day, plays consoles and drinks. That's how I took it. But obviously now I'm like, 
oh yeah they are quite making light of a, a serious problem where he's obviously got depression and has turned into an alcoholic yeah and uh yeah no this uh sort of culminated in an article in the guardian the other day saying i loved the end i loved the avengers endgame why is it so fat phobic which is a classic guardian headline i have to say <laughs> Um, yeah, I think there probably wouldn't be the backlash if they'd introduced a whole new character who was overweight. It's it's because it's Thor who was obviously ripped to pieces before. But my thing on this is the fact that he still saves the day. So he still helps to save the day. So it's... It, There's it's, no need to I, tell him to eat a salad. Exactly. He's still a hero despite, you know, this thing being put, depicted as some sort of impediment. I, I do like that part. I did expect at some point in the film to have some sort of rocky montage where he turns back into Thor. <laughs> I'm actually very grateful he didn't. Rip Thor. Yeah. And, yeah, and then that doesn't happen, right? So he, he, there's this moment at the end where he kind of gets his confidence back and his, his hammer and his lightning bolt and all that sort of stuff, but he doesn't. his body shape stays the same, then he saves the day, like you say. But I just think it's the insensitivity of the people around him that's that caused the most problem for me rather than his the way he dealt with it himself because um, yeah he, he, when they're in they go back to Thor 2 and he starts having a panic attack right that's quite a serious thing and then the little what's he called the little the rocket, rocket raccoon just slaps him in the face and tells him to man up essentially and I just think and his mum comes and says eat a salad mate like <laughs> I just think we're yeah maybe we're, uh, we're a little bit past that in uh, this day and age but maybe not so yeah, this is a sprawling ensemble film, so I'm just going to sort of close this segment by just asking what everybody's sort of favourite superhero is and what your favourite character arc was within Endgame. Dave, coming to you, you're the, you're oh. the Marvel master. It has to be Captain America, because I, I've liked his story from the very beginning of the MCU. I thought of all the origin stories his was the best one solely because it was set in a different time and they really kind of thought about it did it very well and then you have this character who you know he's already time traveled so he actually has a, more of an idea of the consequences you could say that they may be facing by screwing around with this and the way he deals with that over the whole film and then you know chris evans you know he's out of contract now the, this is his closing arc and it's a good one yeah, I've got to agree with that for slightly different reasons because I thought Captain America was the most boring character um, that's ever been on screen. I went to see the first Captain America whenever it came out and I was so bored throughout that. He's, he's just so nice. He's just that's so nice, the... yeah, exactly. He's just such a, he's just too good as a character. Um, and But I think as the years have went on, he's got a bit more self-aware and I think that culminated in this film. I, I like the scene where he was, I think we can say this, he was fighting with a former, his former self and there's a bit of joking back and forth yeah. and there's a joke at the end that just killed in, in the cinema and I think that was that summed summed up the arc very nicely I think I'm not going to be the best on story arcs <laughs> as I've not seen many but my favourite character in this was Tony Stark he just had the best lines yeah and uh, yes I mean if you haven't seen the previous Iron Man films then you're in for a treat <laughs> I'm going to go home and watch them this yeah. afternoon um, yeah, I mean, Iron Man 3 is one of my favourite Marvel films, and it's routinely called one of the worst. Mine too, actually. And, yeah. yeah, but it's fantastic. Uh, Shane Black, who then went went on to make The Nice Guys and that Predator movie last year that we will never talk about because it's horrendous. But Iron Man 3, uh, fantastic. That is that is my message. Iron Man 3 is great. Go watch it. Um yeah, the, the Avengers Endgame came out last week. It's still showing everywhere in Cambridge and probably will be for the next five years due to how much money it's currently making. Uh, it's a certificate 12A. 
Right, now from one blockbuster to another. Yes, that's right. If you think the Endgame was a massive hit, just wait until the next film we're talking about, an Icelandic drama about uh, environmental terrorism. Uh, this is Woman at War. Let's t- take a listen to the trailer. Hvað var sýrlan að gera þarna? Þú verður að stoppa nú. Við verðum að klára Nei, plan. Sko. Við erum líka síðasta kynslóðin sem getur brugðist við og stöðvað hernaðin gegn móður jörð. Fjallkóna. Guðmungóður. Stúlka. Ef þú ætla ekki að taka við barninni svo þurfum við að finna aðra aðlega. Þú ert að verða mamma. Það var allt eitthvað sjóndi núna. Director Benedict Erlingson's film, which was selected as the Icelandic uh, entry for the Foreign Language Oscar earlier this year, um, is about a woman named Halla, played by an actress named Haldora, whose surname I cannot pronounce for the life of me. Um, She is an environmental activist who is in the process of knocking down a giant uh, energy supplier that's polluting the local area, um, the police uh, amping up their efforts to catch her, but she is determined to do one last job to firmly destroy it for good before her adopted child from Ukraine um, is comes over to live in Iceland. So there's a lot of heavy themes going on here, Laura. I was just wondering, you know, do you think it had a, a deep message about the environment or was it just a quirky comedy? I found it more on the quirky comedy side, to be honest. Um, I get that he was trying to make it an environmental activist film. I've also seen it described as a, th- a kind of in my environmental thriller. That's, a, sure that's a stretch, that. I would say. Uh, um, I think it seems that they have a, a music band follow this lead character along. Whenever anything ominous is about to happen, they start playing their traditional instruments. And I think that just adds such a quirk to the film and a comedic side that it takes away from the the real issue that they're trying to make this film about, which is the power station and the aluminium that she's trying to bring down and save the planet, really, <laughs> from that one. And so I just, I just didn't think it quite worked with having both of those in there. I'd say the only thing that really made me sit and think about the environment was at the end, which obviously I'm not going to say what happened, but there's a big flood. And in my mind, I was like, is this them trying to make us think about climate change and why this has happened? It's like a very too little, too late thing. It's like it's it's so quirky. And then it's just like, oh, yeah, by the way, this was about a serious issue. Yeah. Did we we not mention? Absolutely. Um, So, Dave, my first question for you is um, the pronunciation master. How do you pronounce the surname of the lead actress in this film? I believe it's Gerhard (laughs) Stutter. Thank you, pronunciation master Dave. Um, So what did you think about uh, Woman at War? Um, it was quite funny. So I, I came through the door to the station this morning, told you and Toby that I thought it was a charming film, and you, you both kind of laughed at me. But I, <laughs> I can see why. <laughs> I, I, I can see why you did. I mean, I, I think one of the reasons I found it charming was any film that does have a roving band of Icelandic minstrels following the characters around for key scenes is going to be charming. But it was actually the way they ended up being as integral to the story as all the characters were. 
So there, there's a great bit where they, they kind of the power of social media is highlighted, where she's she's done one of her demonstrations, you know, against the thing, and someone tweets it, and then all the band gets a notification on their phone, and they each retweet the message as well, and it's like the you know kind of making people aware of the power of social media. There's also uh, another scene later on where Halla, uh, the lead character, actually stops because you know throughout the film she does kind of look at the band now and again almost as if to give them their cues i don't know if that's intentional cueing in the film or just you know going for the whole meta aspect but there's a bit where she's like hold on i wasn't expecting you at this point what am i about to walk into and it's like she the band makes her aware of what's going on it it, it changes the awareness of the character and that made me go that that's quite clever but I don't entirely understand the purpose. Is it is it also meant to clue the audience in as well, or is it just one of those things where it's just another nice little bit of the film that it has all these quirks and twists to it? And uh, obviously, your our go-to person on scores. I mean, surely you must have enjoyed the music then. Oh, it was absolutely lovely, wasn't it? There, there's a there's a great mix because as well as all the other stories, uh, Hallow is also the the leader of a small singing uh, group in the town that she's in, and it's quite funny because she's this highly respected person, but one of her singing group is a ministry worker who's basically her spy within the government, <laughs> disguising this lovely flowing choral music with putting fridges in phones to discuss sabotage of electricity plants. And it it was all this kind of intermingling of, you know, sabotage, local singing, adopting a child, beautiful, beautiful countryside as well, up in the highlands of Iceland. And, and it all melded together into a film that I found utterly charming. I mean, that's that's a funny thing, though, because it does deal with all of these sort of intense subject matters. But then you look at the poster and all of the, like, the critic quotes on it, funny, charming, uh groundbreaking that sort of thing um did you feel that way about it laura did you find it funny and charming or did you just think that this isn't the way that we should be approaching this subject matter when it's so newsworthy right now yeah i think if they wanted to make an actual hard-hitting film about the environment this wasn't the way to do that to be honest for me i found it just quirky and um remind me of a lot of kind of foreign language films that I've seen with the music band even so for me it was more just I mean it was it was a bit charming but that's that doesn't get across a hard hitting message does it a charming film it reminded me of the band that follows Paddington everywhere in those movies it's like a little sort of <laughs> uh, sort of Caribbean band who like follow him and like sing songs about how nice it is to live in London and eat marmalade sandwiches when he goes on his little adventures I'm not sure if that was intentional it's just what it reminded me of they, they certainly didn't provide any kind of hard-hitting score when he gets sent to prison in the second film because they're in there as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that was Woman at War. It is now screening at the Arts Picture House and it is a certificate 12A. And uh, speaking of things that are happening at the Arts Picture House, Dave... Oh, yes. The Picture House Quiz. The Picture House Quiz is this Monday. Uh, Even though it's bank holiday, we're going ahead and doing it anyway. So, you know, do turn up slightly sozzled if you want to be. Uh, Your quiz master will be. Uh, It's me this time round. As you all know, today is Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. So what I've done is I've themed all of the rounds on Star Wars. 
there's only one round that's going to be on Star Wars itself. The rest is the usual mixture of questions about films. We've got a video montage round. We've got a spot the spot the odd one out round this time. We haven't had one of them for a while. Uh, all in all, it's you know a good couple of hours of fun. Wind off your bank holiday weekend. Aim to start around seven o'clock to seven thirty in the Picture House bar, and, and one pound to enter. Just out of curiosity, how long does it take you to put together these? Uh, I've been working on this one for two months because, wow. well, I have a job that, you know, I have to do that to get the money so I can go and do fun things like this. So, yeah, please go to the Picture House Bar on Monday. Dave has been working hard for two months. He needs you there. Um, but also, this is a new community listings section of Bums on Seats. So there are lots of great film events happening in the next few weeks. Um, first off, we've got a few events at the Centre for Film and Screen at the Cambridge University. Um, there's Ironies of Web 2.0. Professor Damon Young uh, will be leading the keynote lecture at Corpus Christi College on Monday, May the 6th at 6pm. There's Vertigo Effect, Film, Flight and Simulation Sickness, which will be happening at 4pm on Wednesday 8th of May at the Corpus Christi College. And the big event of the month, uh, Todd Salons, the American filmmaker, is the filmmaker in residence at the Cambridge University. Last year it was uh, Lucretia Martel. This year it is him. And he will be at the Picture House from next Sunday for four consecutive days where he'll will be screening one of his classic films followed by a Q&A with the director himself. So on Sunday the 12th of May he will be leading a discussion of Welcome to the Dollhouse, his uh, 1995 film, which I think is a, a big influence on 8th grade, a film we're going to be talking about a bit later. On 13th of May he'll be talking after his film Storytelling at 6.15. On Tuesday 14th of May, his film Life During Wartime at 6.15. And on Wednesday the 15th of May, he will be talking after a screening of Dark Horse also at 6.15. These are all happening at the Arts Picture House in Cambridge. Bums on seats on Cambridge 105 Radio. And now it's time for some laughs. Seth Rogen, who has not been on screen for three years in a leading role, is back with a new comedy. And Charlie's the one in tour. This is Longshot. I need some writers to punch up my speeches. Fred's writing is really good. And he knows me. Oh, I feel so scared. In order to write better for you, I should kind of get to know you better if you have a minute. I actually have seven. Seven minutes in heaven. <laughs> What is your favorite book as a kid? The Velveteen Rabbit. Favorite song? Must have been loved by Roxanne. Most embarrassing moment. I don't embarrass that easily. I don't either, really. What's your favorite sexual position? Normal? Front-facing <laughs> normal? What kind of question That's is that? That's all it took. Look at you. Uh, what, what's your favorite sexual position? Don't be gross, Fred. Do you like date? I mean, who wants to follow me around the world and hope I have five minutes to be affectionate? Yeah. Thousand constituents, how they would feel if Kate Middleton, I see where you're going with this, were to start dating Danny DeVito. Pretty negative reaction. So, Longshot stars Seth Rogen as Fred Flasky, an investigative journalist who unwillingly ends up on the presidential campaign of his former babysitter, Charlotte Field, played by Charlie Stavon. She's currently the Secretary of State, but the president, uh, played by Bob Odenkirk, has announced he is stepping down and he's endorsing her. She hires him as a, as a sort of script writer and he follows her around the world um, as she tries to get an environmental deal passed. 
as he antagonises everybody in her orbit, uh, the two form a romance. It's a, it's a high-concept romantic comedy. Um, yeah, did you find it charming, Lava? I did. I'm not normally the biggest romantic comedy fan, and this really did it for me. I thought, you know, it perfectly fitted both genres. And I went in just thinking, yeah, it's going to be amusing. It's Seth Rogen. And I thought it was brilliant, actually. It was really funny. I was laughing most of the way through the film. Yeah, I mean, and how did you feel, Dave? Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was a, a kind of it was the last film I managed to see before before the weekend, and it it kind of rounded things off nicely for me. It was just a oh yeah, it, this. I mean, I won't go say it's entirely inoffensive because it's a film where I don't know if Seth Rogen's written it or he's been improvising, but there it are is bits weirdly. Of it. This is Ooh. one of the weird things. Uh, one of the co-screenwriters previously. This is only her second screenplay, but her previous film was The Post. That was her debut screenplay was for Steven Spielberg's The Post. Huh. I mean, that's interesting because that that's an inoffensive movie that's also offensive for entirely political <laughs> reasons. <laughs> and uh, if you know, if you can get... But yeah, I mean, uh, they, this is yeah, this is not an inoffensive movie. You will be offended at some point, but that that's kind of part and parcel of the subject matter here. The, so we, we've not only got high-stakes politics, we've also got this, you know, everyone's seeing it as a very unlikely romance. And that that was probably actually the one thing that grated on me. The, the way it's called Longshot and everything is, if you see them and the way they're behaving together, it's not a long shot at all. It's perfectly obvious that these are two people in love. So why can't they be in love? Ah, because the world doesn't want them to be. And that that, but that's a message they also you know go on to to cover in the film. And they, I thought they dealt with it quite well actually. Which actually perfectly tees up my next question. So I mean, Seth Rogen has been in the past. He's been criticised for all his films. He always casts incredibly glamorous women as his girlfriends. Like he's like Cameron Diaz was his girlfriend in one movie. Catherine Heigl in Knocked Up. I mean. Did you buy into the relationship between him and Charlie Theron, or did you just feel like this was sort of Seth Rogen's fantasy of dating a glamorous woman playing out on screen? Well, I mean, who can blame him for casting gorgeous <laughs> women in the first place? Uh, but I totally believed it. They they had really good chemistry together, the two of them, and it felt like they really bounced off of each other well. And the whole film, it was very much a case of it's they first met when they were young and their comedy is the same how they act really is the same i mean in the beginning few scenes you see that she's not a really uptight secretary of state you know she's there's a thing where she's like i can't eat from a stick i look like a cave woman <laughs> when she's talking about a chicken skewer you know, so she's not this uptight prim and proper she also um, waves really weirdly which is a great visual joke <laughs> i wish um, there was a camera in here right now the elbow wave <laughs> But no, I thought they worked. They worked really nice together. And like Dave said, they did approach it in the film. Of, I mean, everyone sat there thinking, you know, he's this kind of down and out guy who's overweight, a bit of a druggie. He's not what someone who looks like her we would think would normally go for. But you know, they and they addressed that, and that was a big part of the plot. And I thought they did that really well. And I sat there completely believing it and wanted them to end up together. Yeah, I mean, it is really sweet. I mean. Charlie Theron, she's an incredibly versatile actress. We see her as an action hero in Mad Max one minute. We see her in a serious drama, you know, contending for Oscars the next. I mean, Dave, do you think that she's, you know, this is a great reminder of how good she is as a comedy 
comedy actress yeah i mean it's, it's i mean this is just how good she is as an actress full stop she can turn her hand to anything she wants to i mean you, you mentioned mad Max. she went on and also did atomic blonde the oscar winning stuff we've got something relatively simple role like those it's cider house rules she's in yep yep but then she turns that around for monster and just you know even more drama and stuff and then for comedy it's just like Oh, it feels like it should be quite easy after <laughs> after all of everything. And, you know, she does it. She does it with such an easy charm as well. And, you know, I think one of the reasons it, it comes across really well in this is that as well as portraying this, you know, kind of fun, personable person, she's having a lot of fun doing it as well. And that can often bring out even more layers than you've seen before in someone if they're really enjoying what they're doing. And, you know, from some of the interviews I've seen they've done since, it, it sounds like they also, you know, everyone was really friendly on set. They had a very good atmosphere to be working in, and it, you know, it comes across well on the screen. So uh, it's a Seth Rogen film, and that means any number of things, but it explicitly means that there is one drug fueled set piece in the middle. Um, Laura, you've just expressed before we went on there your feelings about this set piece. I mean, did you think it was a worthwhile addition to the plot, or did you just feel it was just, it's a Seth Rogen film, this box had to be ticked? Well, yeah, it's a Seth Rogen film. All his films usually involve drugs. But I didn't. That was the one scene, as I said, that slightly bothered me. I didn't think it was entirely necessary. I know it was leading up that they wanted to show that she wasn't in a completely fit state of mind when she suddenly got called into a very serious hostage situation. But, I mean, we've just talked about the Avengers and alcoholism and how there's a big backlash for Thor turning like that. Why is there not a big backlash that this guy... Is has a clearly has a drug problem in the beginning, and then glamorizes drugs so much in this scene when they go out partying and take Molly the whole night through. I mean, why is there not a backlash about this? This is a serious problem, and he all his films really tend to glamorize it slightly, in my opinion. I mean, do you have anything to add there? I'm just going to smile and nod and agree with Laura. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, this, I mean, it's sold as uh, a Charlie Stavon, Seth Rogen rom-com, but, I mean, it has a fantastic ensemble cast. I mean, you've got Bob Odenkirk, who really needs to be in it more because that president character is hilarious. Um, you've got uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr. as Seth Rogen's best friend, ticking that rom-com staple of a... Uh, the best friend of every male lead in a romantic comedy has to be at least 10 years younger than them. Uh, just think back to Dave Chappelle being Tom Hanks' best friend in You've Got Mail, which still makes no sense. Um, and uh, then you've got Andy Serkis in a completely transformative role uh, akin to his Gollum. How, how do you feel about his, uh, this? That was Andy Serkis? That was Andy Serkis. I just realised that. Oh, my God. I did not know. In a, in a way, I thought it was Alexander Skarsgård in... Um, oh, you thought Alexander Skarsgård was doing Jewel World? I did, yeah. How did he shrink? Was he, like, on his like on his knees for the other one? Like, to put shoes on his knees? That's and... been done before, if you've seen <laughs> Moulin Rouge. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, who were the standouts in this ensemble cast beside the, beside the leads? Because, I mean, there's some... Everybody's bringing their A game. I feel. Yeah, I I quite like the uh, the tag team of the two advisors who are following the Secretary yes. of State around everywhere because uh, yeah, I do. Their their relationship is the probably even more complicated than the lead characters because they're antagonistic to each other, but at the same time they support her ideas. They bring them all together. You know, they're a really good political team, and they hate each other. And at the same time, it, it becomes apparent later on. Well, they don't hate each other that much. <laughs> then. Okay. Um, 
And it, it's funny because they they they're doing two different things. They they're encouraging the relationship to some extent, uh, but that the relationship they want is the he's a good writer. He he makes her a better politician. And then the the other relationship is actually where they kind of become a little bit antagonistic as well. And there's a there's a great scene where um, I cannot remember the so it's Maggie who's one of the advisors. Uh, it's played by June Diane Rayfield. Ah, okay, so. Her <laughs> and uh, Secretary of State Fields uh, have their kind of first clash about it, and there's this whole thing about you're now crossing a line and it's becoming personal, not professional. And they highlight that as well. And I thought, oh, actually, that's another neat way of dealing with this whole idea of what people think and everything else. So you know, it, it's it tied it up neatly for me in the end. So yeah, that is long shot. Anybody got anything else to like to say? I would just say go see it. I found it really funny. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's nice to see a funny mainstream comedy. That's all too rare these days. And one where Alexander Skarsgård isn't just playing a typical, really good-looking guy with his shirt off. He's a man who cannot laugh properly. <laughs> exactly. It, it's very weird, though, because he's playing the Canadian Prime Minister, and yet at one point they go to Sweden. Why didn't they just get him playing a Swedish? Swedish. There yes. you go. Oh, anyway, so on that note, Longshot is now in the light and the view and various other multiplexes uh, around the region it is a certificate 15 and our final film is a, a critical darling that has taken almost a year uh, to arrive in the uk after uh, premiering in america last summer it is eighth grade um, a teen coming of age story um, which is the directorial debut of a comedian bo burnham Okay, so growing up can be a little bit scary and weird. We will begin to explore these changing bodies of yours. It's gonna be lit. Don't hold back, I wanna break free. As always, make sure to share and subscribe to my channel, Gucci. I think you're so cool. Maybe you just need to put yourself out there a little. I'm gonna stop eating with hey, you if you I'm keep doing this. You said I could say one thing. I'm really like nervous all the time. I try really hard not to feel that way. But you just need to face your fears and let people know they're really you. Just because things are happening right now doesn't mean they're always going to happen. Who was in there? Just sort of my hopes and dreams. Right. I was a complete mess when I was your age. Really? Eighth grade is the worst. You never know what's next. And that's what makes things exciting and scary and fun. When did you get Snapchat? What grade? Fifth grade. Fifth grade? What? So I absolutely love this film. Christian, I know that you do too. Um, I, I just want to ask you, as, as I said earlier, I'm throwing you in the deep end. You've never been a teenage girl, but I, you're now the only person who's going to be talking about a film about a teenage girl. Um, Bo Burnham has also never been a teenage girl. I mean... Did his depiction of that life feel insightful to you? Yeah, like all great coming-of-age films, this feels like it was written for me, even though, like you say, I've never been a 13-year-old teenage girl in middle America um, in 2018 with social media, but just I, I related to this character in this film so much. It was painful how, how authentic and real he portrayed these characters. Um, but, yeah, did you feel the same? Yeah, no, and it's great that you used the word painful because... <laughs> I've seen this film the once. I saw it at Sundance London last year, um, and I haven't brought myself back to watch it since because I loved it, but I was cringing 
so hard I was gripping onto my seat. I mean, I don't know if that was the same feeling that you had whilst watching it. Yeah, I've seen this twice now, and I, was, I wasn't looking forward to the second watching because I knew how it was like a horror film. Like, you know, we've seen these coming-of-age films time and time again with the same sort of themes, but this had a bit more substance to it, I thought. You know, what we've seen before with these types of films is normally these perfect teenagers with perfect skin with them who kind of talk to each other in these philosophical monologues and uh, written by you know middle-aged men that have lost touch with the youth whereas this felt like Bo Burnham really kind of paid attention to to the adolescence of today and the effects that social media has on them and and what what you actually go through as a 13 year old girl or boy no matter what gender you are um, you know, these characters don't talk to each other in these kind of big cinematic ways. They 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 um and ah, they talk over each other, they repeat themselves, they um there's these awkward pauses that is just I you just want to crawl into yourself when you watch it because you just takes you back to when you were that age as well and just not knowing how to interact with the world around you. Um and I'm so glad I didn't have social media when I was there. <laughs> it just feels like so much pressure. Because there's also two types of cringing. There's the bad type of cringing, and then there's the good type of cringing, which is this like sort of adorable friend date that she has with this boy. Uh, they have like chicken nuggets from McDonald's and like like ten different dipping sauces, and he's just uh, awkwardly like doing Rick and Morty impressions at her. And it's these sort of weird little details like that that I I feel are more authentic than sort of other teen movies. It's all about the small moments in this that make it really ring true. Yeah, and it's it is that the small moments. Like you know, when we're growing up, it's not like the Avengers when the superheroes flying around. Our life is just filled with very small moments that to an onlooker feel small, but to us our our mind is just exploding with just fear and anxiety and fun and joy and um I think that this film does a like brilliant job of capturing that, and I think Kayla, um, Elsie Fisher, who plays the the lead, Kayla, um, her performance in this and delivering those nuances, the way she kind of touches her hair, the, 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 her sad eyes, the way she smiles, I think she she's exceptional in this film, um, at portraying those very very small moments, but that feel absolutely huge to her. Yeah, and also, I mean, you said it was universal early on, but there are a lot of things in this that are very specifically American. For example, the school has to go through shooter drills so to protect themselves in the act of a school shooting. I mean, despite this, do you think it still easily translates to a British audience? Yeah, I, yeah, you're right. I didn't really think about that, but we've all watched enough American TV show to know what's yeah. going on, and um, we understand how we would feel if we were going through that. Um, I think it's, a, a, again, another a quite clever commentary in our times that these kids have to go through this quite intense period, um, these quite intense things at 13 years old. It's a very confusing time. Like, in, like When you're 13, it's just... It's, it's, a, it's a film that's very up and down. It's very comedic as well in times. I mean, Bo Burnham's a comedian, so you'd expect some laughs in this. Um, but I think it, it's a great mix of comedy and drama and um, yeah it, it's just a whirlwind of emotions really I was very emotionally drained at the end of this um, which I, I think it's reflective of how you are at 13 as well it's it's fun it's scary it's it's um, it's like oh my god what's going on it, yeah there's just a lot of emotions in it I think it's great and I mean I, I can't think of a better a better way to praise this film than that. It's like being you were 13 again. <laughs> um, eighth Grade is still showing at the Arts Picture House in limited screenings. It is rated 15. Uh, yeah, and please uh, see it before it disappears. It is wonderful. And uh, yeah, that is all we have time from this week's Bums on Seats. Uh, next week's show, or 
in two weeks, sorry, um, there are plenty of films coming out that could be discussed. In the multiplexes, you have Detective Pikachu. He's on the case. John Wick 3, he's back again, still getting vengeance for his dog. And in the art house, um, Claire Denis is making her English language debut with High Life, which I'm extremely looking forward to. Um, anyway, thank you to my reviewers. Thank you for listening. And uh, make sure to download, uh, subscribe and download to the Bums and Seats podcast available on the Cambridge 105 website and on iTunes, basically wherever good podcasts are available. Uh, I've been Alistair Ryder. I've been Dave Riley. I've been Christian Foreman. And I've been Laura. And uh, yeah, see you later. a whole range of Cambridge 105 radio goodies through our online merchandise shop. From mugs to pens, fleeces to t-shirts, there's something for everyone. Check it out at cambridge105.co.uk This is Cambridge 105 radio with the latest news next. One in four adults in the UK don't make a will until they're over the age of 55. If you're one of them, what are you waiting for? If you want to ensure that your estate is distributed as you wish, if you've recently married or divorced, or if you've welcomed children or grandchildren to the family, it's time to stop waiting. Contact Woodfine Solicitors today on Cambridge 411 421 or visit woodfines.co.uk for more information. Cambridge 105.